Hello, welcome back everybody. SF Live episode 115 already. My name is Kai Hoffman. I'm the CEO of the Sword Financial Group. And in a few short seconds, I'll be joined by Don Durrett. He's the goldstockdata.com guru and founder, creator of that website. And we always love chatting with him. He's on the show for the third time now. I think you're our most frequently or frequented guest. So I'm really excited to have him back on because we're going to talk macro mostly. We're going to talk about gold, silver, gold, silver trends, MMT and Biden's stimulus package. What's in it for all of us as resource and commodity investors? How do we position ourselves? Also, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube. We're, go we're streaming live for the very first time today here directly on YouTube as well. I got the chat open right here. So if you have any questions, put them in the chat or use our known format. Hashtag AskGSD. We'll see that on Twitter. That's the original idea. So make use of that. Get your questions in. How any specifics like how you should position we don't give investment advice but we can give some direction and uh, some ideas maybe on how to play this current market now i've said my piece now let me switch over to mr don Durrett. don i really appreciate you joining us again today how are you happy new year hey kai thanks for having me back happy new year that's oh, fantastic we've got lots to catch up on and uh, you were on last november 17th pretty much right after the u.s elections We've now seen the Georgia runoff elections. We've now seen sort of some finality to the White House decision. Lots to talk about. Where, where are we at? And of course, we're going to talk about the impacts of gold and silver. So run us through what you're seeing in the gold and silver price right now, and then we'll dive into some more details and specifics. Well, we're still in the correction phase of gold and silver, where you know, we peaked or topped in August. Uh, Almost uh, 20,000 or 2,075 on gold and 2980, I think, in silver. So he went up and now we've been in this correction since uh, it's, I think it was fairly early August. Um, and last night, uh, gold got hit again. So, and last week, we, we've had it, we've had a few poundings, if you will. This is the third one. And the poundings, um, I call them beatdowns. They tend to always happen off hours, like the one that happened last night, a Sunday night before the, you know, we're closed today. And you had, you know, this 3,300 contracts, I think, were sold, you know. And when these beatdowns happen, they happen really quickly, over, you know, less than a minute sometimes. Billions of dollars of these paper, paper gold contracts, um, these beatdowns. We've had, again, the last three weeks, I think we've had three of them. And gold has been able to stay above 1,800. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to, you know, try and understand why they're happening, but for me, it, it, it usually always happens when you get near breakout points. So it wasn't, for Benson's back when we had the run from March to August, you knew it wasn't going to go forever. At a certain point, you know, you, you were going to peak and you're going to correct. And so we, we corrected right at the significant breakout point for silver. Now gold, yeah, it went over 2000. It could, it stayed over 2000 for a little while and then it couldn't hold. But the big one really for silver, the real big one is when silver gets over 30, there's not a lot of resistance above 30. And I knew that, you know, we're gonna have some a correction. I didn't know how long it was gonna take. And 27 is really kind of the line in the sand. So, you know, we're seeing um, gold get these beatdowns, but in also you're also getting silver getting beat down as well. So silver can't get above 27. So silver went up 2980 uh, about, then it got down below 27 and it stayed below 27. Last night it got beat down, but it, now it's over 20. It's right at 25 as we speak, I believe. 
So 27 is that really important level. If it gets above 27, and then it's probably going to get above 30, and then we're off to the races. Um, so we're in this correction phase. Uh, we haven't broken out yet. I, I we'll talk a little bit about why we're in the correction phase. So that for me, what is the, the channel that we're looking at? Now, for gold, I think, you know, some people have said it's right around 1760 is kind of what they're seeing as kind of, you know, as long as we stay above that, we're fine. I think we could possibly go down to around 1700 is about as low as I see the channel. And then 1950 is kind of the upper end. Once we get above 1950, we're kind of break out. And for silver, it's um, 27 at the top of the channel down to 1850. So we possibly could go lower, say to 22 or 1850. I see the, I don't see us going below 1850 and maybe we won't even get that low. And then gold, 1700 is about as low as I see and then won't get there now. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, going to, I was going to jump in there because last we talked in November, you said like 1800 was the bottom that you saw. Wouldn't, you wouldn't see it dropping below 1800. We were trading, I think it was 1890 back uh, back then in November. So roughly not too far off from current levels. But um, what made you change your mind to, to lower that channel to another $100? You no, know, I, I always thought that 1750, 1700 were, were possibilities, but 1800 had a, a chance to hold. Um, I don't think I have really ever, I didn't, haven't put the line in the sand at 1800 at all. The line in the sand for me really is 1700. I don't see us going below that. Um, I, I've always thought that 1800 won't hold in the first half of this year. And the reason why, now we can get into a little bit more of, um, you know, why gold and silver are down here and they're not above, at, at these breakout levels. So we have the stock market, which is robust. Um, you know, we're still over 30,000 on the Dow and people are comfortable with putting their money in the stock market. I, I read an article today saying, you know, with this stimulus money, the, the, the S&P is probably going to go to 4,000 and possibly so. So we're basically in this risk off meth, uh, mentality um, that everything is good because stimulus is coming. Stimulus is probably going to work. We don't need to be afraid of stimulus. Um, you know, we, we injected all this money last year. We didn't get inflation. Nobody's afraid of inflation. Everybody's, you know, I call it this MMT euphoria where everybody's just really comfortable that, you know, the, the Fed has our back. They have this put, the Fed put, we don't have to worry about crashes. We get any sell-offs. The Fed's going to come to the rescue and pump it back up. But that's the reason why gold and silver can't get out. But in the in that in the first half of this year, at a certain at some point, I really feel we're going to get a sell off in the markets where you, you this risk off trade has been going on. I, I think really think it's going to shift, and we're going to start to go more into the risk on where we start to get some fear, and then the fear trade comes into gold, and then we finally make this run at 1950 gold and then 27 silver. I think that's going to come in the first half. But before it comes, the sell-off, and the sell-off, I think, will go below 1800 on uh, gold and below, say, 23 on on silver. Gotcha. Again, there's a lot to unpack in there. And uh, you said risk-off trades, obviously, the S&P going to 4,000. But is that going to be driven by single stocks? Or do you think that's a broad market indices are just going to be pushed? Or are there like five stocks driving it? And I'm thinking of the Robin Hood traders, and I posted a question earlier. So with the $1,400 gold and, oh, sorry, no, $1,400 stimulus check, um, those Robin Hood traders, and I'm pretty sure not all of them will have to plug financial holes that the pandemic left, right? So where, where is that money going to go? Do you have an expectation there or like an indication? 
Yeah, that's that's a good question. So I'm somewhat negative on the stock market and the U.S. economy as a whole. So I'm with you. I think it'll be a few stocks that drive it higher. I don't see this, you know, everybody benefiting. I think that this is really a transition point that started last year for the U.S. I see the U.S. economy, which has basically been the strongest economy in the world. You know, Trump said, you know, the greatest economy of all time or whatever. But I think that that's not accurate. I think that the generate as as far as wealth generation goes, I think we're now in a problem. We're in a situation where we don't we're not generating enough wealth for the amount of debt we're creating. So we're actually on a decline. So I do see the wealth generation shifting to Southeast Asia, where Southeast Asia is now the kind of the engine of the world, and they're going to have more impact politically around the world because they're going to be making more money. And when that comes, I see this as a transition point. So the U.S. economy right now is kind of in a very precarious situation, in my opinion. So I see what's happening with the stock market right now is we're peaking. So maybe we go to 4,000, maybe we even go to 4,500 on the S&P 500. But it's going to be a small number of stocks that do that. And it's going to be, I think, a blow off rally. I do not see... Um, I mean, inflation can always, and money printing can always put the stock, push them higher and higher. But you have to have earnings to go with it. You can't just have high share prices and not high earnings. And I don't see a real robust rebound in corporate earnings um, this year and next year. I think the next two years, I think it's going to be, you know, somewhat precarious for the U.S. economy. I don't think the U.S. is in its, this, the position that it was in um you know, 10 years ago, and definitely not 20 years ago. I don't think we're that strong anymore. And I think it's going to be um, an unbelievable opportunity for people that, you know, follow me as far as gold and silver goes, because I think that money is going to come out of the stocks, come out of the bond market and go to gold. And I really feel very strongly that by the end of this year, we should see at least $2,300 gold, and it could be much higher than $2,300. $2,300 is my kind of my minimum target for this year for gold. And so the second half of the year, and it could start even earlier than that, I really see this risk um, on trade starting to kick into gear. Yeah, it's like to, to put a pin in the broader market discussion we just had, and a question just came to mind, and with $1,400 gold, you can do a lot, and obviously we're biased. A lot of people I follow are gold and silver bugs, obviously on Twitter and social media. Would you rather buy gold and silver bullion or should you buy travel stocks? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to start looking extremely um, bullish for... Uh, Gold and silver, I think, um, as the what I call what I've been explaining about how the trend starts to shift away from this bullish bullish idea about the U.S. economy, U.S. markets, when people start to get a little nervous about the direction of the U.S. economy, and I think this is where we're probably going to talk a little bit about the new administration. Yes. I mean, today's I mean Wednesday's inauguration day. Where this is a big shift for America. A big shift. I don't think people realize the significance of what's happening right now. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like we, we talked about a couple of things before we went on air here. And uh, like one thing like that sort of leads us to that is the current strength in, in, in the U.S. dollar right now is why the gold and silver price are at the low point. Like what, what does the market see in the U.S. dollar right now? As you said, yes, it's a risk off trade. Gold, stocks go higher. But as you, as you said, like the U.S. economy underlying, if you can see it, others can see it as well. Like 
why is that happening? Like, why is there the dollar strength that's pushing real asset prices lower? Um, yeah, so th the reason why we had this little bump in the dollar is, again, this optimism around the U.S. economy coming back. And Janet Yellen, um, over the weekend, there was some news release saying that she wants a stronger dollar. So if she wants a stronger dollar, that's that's going to be interesting um, how, how she's going to prop it up because she's simultaneously um, – probably going to do some large deficit spending, I would think. So the only way that we really get a stronger dollar is if they don't, you know, if they can keep the deficit somewhat moderated and then the U.S. economy starts growing again, then, yeah, the dollar will come back. I think it's going to be difficult for her. I, I think the odds favor, like, let's say we're right at 90, right? For the DXY, we're a little above 90. You know, it's going to be really hard to keep it over 90 this year. I I think we're going sub 85 this year on the dollar um, because of what I said about, about it's going to be really tough for the U.S. to re to maintain its dominance uh, economically, globally. Well, you, you you hinted at the at the new management in the White House, right? Like the the new head of the house there. And uh, like, of course, Biden is moving into the White House on Wednesday. That's two days from now. And uh, there's a big shift happening. As you, as you said, like Yellen, of course, a familiar name, but also, and I had to laugh when I read it, and I had to Google a couple more sources to confirm it. But uh, Bernie Sanders is going to be the budget chair, uh, the committee chair. Uh, I thought that's very, very comical um, in in that regard. What's what the what that means for the U.S. dollar? What that means for MMT? Um, and there, as you said, there's a big shift happening, right? Um, and I actually was a bit disappointed when Biden announced the stimulus package on Thursday, and we didn't see, or at least I, maybe I missed it, but it wasn't big news, at least the infrastructure spending part, right? It was $1.9 trillion package, but I didn't see too much on the infrastructure part. Did I miss anything? No, that's coming next. Yeah. Infrastructure bill is going to be a trillion dollars all by itself. They, they couldn't put it in here. This is just a, you know, this is, this is step, stimulus number one. You know, so they don't really think so much as infrastructure as being stimulus for COVID Infrastructure was planned pre-COVID. Infrastructure is just really, you know, kind of an economic plan that's been on the back burner, you know, for years. Well, I remember now. Trump running on that promise as well, and nothing's yeah. happened. So, yeah. so that, it, but they're going to do one. That's inevitable. That's another trillion dollar uh, check they're going to have to write. I think it's the most logical to sort of get people employed again because we've saw we've seen higher than expected unemployment numbers due to COVID and some closures. Um, with Biden in the White House, like, what do you kind of COVID measures do you expect to happen? I know he's announced he's been thinking about a national mask mandate. Um, anything else you can envision that's going to be hurtful to the economy, driving or playing into our hands a bit more? Well, as far as COVID goes, you know, his, his hands are are kind of tied as far as um, getting everybody back to work. Um, the Democratic Party has always been um, focusing on safety. That's been their, that's priority number one, right? So as far as restarting the economy goes, I, it's going to be tough, um, say, first in the first quarter. And, and that's why, um, and it's going to put them a little bit behind the eight ball as far as, you know, really stimulating them. Putting out those checks I mean, yeah, I mean, it's going to do a little bit of a boost, but 
you know, people aren't going to be going back to restaurants. They're not going to be traveling. So everything's dead, you know, for the first quarter. So there's not going to be a lot of going. You know, like I said, his hands are kind of tied to first quarter as far as stimulus goes. And so maybe they get the in the second quarter, maybe they do the infrastructure for, for the second half of the year. Um, and then that he has another program coming as well. So we have the infrastructure, but he also has his economic plan. So his economic plan, that's going to be check number three, and that's coming. And a lot of that is the green energy. Um, you know, he wants to build a lot of these electric recharging stations, and he wants to um, re retrofit a lot of buildings and homes. And he's got a lot of ideas and, and that he wants to do as far as his economic program. But let's really talk about <laughs> kind of the bottom line of his economic program. Um, and that is the taxation uh, plan that he has. Now, the one thing that um, I don't think Wall Street has really taken into consideration yet is that he can raise taxes with, with, and bypass the filibuster. They have this ability now, they have these rules where all you need is the majority to get a tax law through. So we're going to see increased taxes for corporations and increased taxes for, well, he said everybody above $400,000. But we're going to get a significant tax increase bill right during a period of economic slowdown. So, I mean, that doesn't really go hand in hand with, with what the stock market and everybody is, you know, you know, euphoric about, right? So also, I talked about this last time. Um, this is a big shift for America as far as our economic policy. Ronald Reagan, he put in um, a plan that we've been using since 1981, which was supply-side economics. All supply-side economics says is we are going to support the suppliers. We're not going to hurt the suppliers. We're going to support the suppliers. So who are the suppliers? That's your small businesses. That's your large businesses. That's your corporations. We're going to help them. We're not going to hurt them. That's all supply-side economics is. We help the suppliers. It's going to create more suppliers. That's, it's kind of what it basically, it's, you know, it's kind of a good theory, philosophy and theory. But the Democrats, they went along with it because it worked. And then Clinton came in in the 90s, and he was basically a moderate Republican, and he carried it on. And it worked for him. I mean, the 90s were fantastic economically. He did not go after the corporations at all, right? And then you had Obama, and Obama did the same thing. He was economically, he followed the Reagan, you know, playbook. He did not attack corporations. Now, he did talk about going after corporations in some of his State of the Union addresses, but those were words. He never did it actions. Obama <laughs> never attacked any corporations' actions, right? Joe Biden, now the, the Democrats basically, they gave the Republicans that Republican economic plan. They gave it a little ride. They, they basically went along for the ride for two decades, three decades. But now they're jumping off that train. And Joe Biden said that now he's going to pull the, the, um, the license, the permits um, for the pipeline. Um, and so that's basically that's anti-corporation right there. That shows you that's the first thing he's going to do. They're banging um, up here in Canada, right? So I'm really curious to see what the effects are of that, right? The Keystone Pipeline XL cancellation. The Keystone, Keystone Pipeline. So he's basically saying, I don't care about your bottom line, I'm pulling it, right? So that is 
what I've been talking about. That is moving away from supply-side economics. Raising the taxes on corporations, I think it's going to be anywhere from 25% to 28%. That is a going against supply-side economics. Now, I'm not saying that supply-side economics is the cat's meow. That's the best way to you know, organize things. You know, there's, I wrote a constitution on basically how to do economic policy. You can find it on, you can just go to Amazon and search for the books I've written. So I have my own ideas on how to do that. But my, my point is, is that this is a shift. And this is a shift that's going to have probably negative ramifications for the economy. Now, I talked about Southeast Asia being, a, you know, the new kid on the block that, that's, that's going to basically take over economic, you know, stranglehold on who's going to be doing the exporting, who's going to be generating the wealth, who's going to be making stuff. It's going to be Southeast Asia. Um, so, you know, the Biden administration, you know, they're playing a really dicey game by trying to boost the economy at one hand and then not play nice, nice with all of the, all of the you know, businesses. Um, we'll see how much they help small business. That's going to be a really difficult one for them uh, because America has never really um, had a policy um, other than supply-side economics to, to really help. I mean, we have a small business administration, but, you know, how much, how, how well does that work? I mean, the, really the way that you help small businesses is you keep their taxes and regulations down, which has kind of been the Republican playbook. Can, can Biden really, you know, help small businesses without doing that? It's going to be tough. And so COVID has really hurt the small business. So, you know, it's it's yeah. a quandary for this. And it's a, maybe if I jump, can jump in there, but he announced that I'd increase in minimum wage as well. So like there, there are arguments for and against it, obviously, right? And like, it, it seems like he's following a bit of a dream that won't be happening. He's got to reel in, obviously, the deficit or deficit spending, and he's trying to catch up with higher taxes. But I think that that catching in or reeling in the debt as that that has pretty much sailed that ship, in my opinion. I'm I'm so glad you just brought up the minimum wage. So my point, and I've been talking about this now for a while, is that. Supply side economics is being abandoned right now as we speak, um, is being abandoned. And so what's going to be the fallout of that? If you raise the minimum wage to $15, what does that say for small business? Now, that's supply siders. That's basically, those are the people that are basically generating the jobs. Your small businesses, right? So they're the suppliers. Um, they supply jobs. So... You know, raising it to fifteen dollars, and this can get passed without by bad by, without um, the Senate filibuster in play. So it probably will be in effect this year. We're going to go to fifteen. So look at the ramifications of that. Um, you're going to see this always happens. You're going to see rents go up whenever they whenever the minimum wage goes up, rents go up. So rents are going to go higher, and they're already high. Um, then you're going to get inflation because businesses that have to pay this higher wage are going to raise their rates. So your restaurant food bills are going to go higher. That's for sure. Right. Um, yeah, but also, like maybe if I can jump in again, like if one photo that has been circling on the Internet is just the terminals at McDonald's where they just take people out of the work stream. Right. There's like here's yes. a computer terminal or use your app like here. 
uh, yeah, right. Yes. So just, just use the app to order and we'll just come pick it up. That's going to get more automated. Unfortunately, we're at that point in time. It's 2021 where yeah. technology is this far advanced where you can actually cut people right. out of the system, right? And right. unfortunately, like it, it all comes down to money, right? That's how it, how the world works. It comes down to money. And if you can save That's... a penny, you're going to you're gonna cut a couple of people. Right, exactly. And the only, right, absolutely. So the key, in my opinion, and it's not going to happen, I don't think, um, the key to strengthening the economy isn't raising the, the minimum wage. Um, the key to increasing the economy is to create wealth. So do you really create wealth by raising the economy? No, you give people a living wage, but that doesn't create wealth. So how do you, how do you create wealth? And for the, for the life of me, I don't know, understand why um, Trump didn't implement this. He implemented it somewhat with NAFTA in that if you want to import a, a car into the United States, a portion of that car has to be made from American parts. That's a beautiful idea. They could do that for anything that's imported in this country. So, for instance, you know, in, we have a kind of a limit. Say anything that's less than $100 is exempt, right? But if you import it over $100, you know, certain industries, yeah, we can, we can exempt them. But you could start with, say, in the electronics and appliances and autos. For instance, Porsche doesn't make any cars in this country. So we basically say, look, 5% of Porsche has to be American parts. Uh, all of the, the Korean companies, you know, the Samsungs, the LEGs, LGs, we basically say, look, 5% of your, your the stuff you import has to be from American parts. We, we wouldn't have enough workers, right? Yeah. We would not have enough workers to make those parts. So what does that do? That makes them, they have to raise their prices. It starts generating wealth. So the number one thing you have to focus. So now let's, 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 let me take this into silver mining. I'll give you a perfect example. So I, I was talking to Fury Gold on the phone and F Fiori or Fury? Fury. Yeah, like the okay, like the tank in the in the yeah, in the movie. The new okay. company. Yeah, the new company yeah. Fury, F U R Y. And I was talking to the C the chairman, Ivan Vivek, and we were just arguing left and right because he has three advanced projects and he wants to consider his company an exploration company. But if you have an advanced project um, you're not going to get any value out of those projects unless they have a path to production. You're only going to get value. The, the, your gold in the ground is only going to be valued at, you know, $100 or less, somewhere in there. Currently, his, his gold is valued at 56 I had it $56. So if you mine it, if you turn it, if you generate it, turn it into wealth, if you mine it, you can have a valuation of $500. So in, this, in America, you know, we got these service industries, but it's not generating wealth. It's like the $50 gold. And, and, and over in Korea and Japan and, and China, they're generating wealth, so they're getting $500, right? They're generating the wealth. We're not getting the wealth. That is, that's kind of my analogy. So we have to, so, you know. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm fully with you there, right? They're, yeah. they're adding ounces, right? They're adding ounces. We're adding minimum wage jobs, right? Service sector jobs. Versus over in China, they're they're basically instead of um, adding ounces, they're basically turning those ounces into value. They're moving them up the stream from to 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. They're moving them up the stream. Value added, add wealth. 
it's the same thought. It's the same thought process. You have, it's all about focus. You know, what is your strategy? How do you do it? How do you move it? How do you move that goal from 50 to 500? How do you move, you know, the wealth, you know, yeah. the same thing with making stuff. You got to make stuff. And Trump had the opportunity to do it. I, I was shocked that he didn't. And Biden's not going no. to. And so we're not going to be generating wealth. So the, the op opposite is going to happen. That it is, it is unwinding globalization to a degree, right? Because it has gone maybe a tad too far for yeah. certain economies, right? And that's why yeah. maybe Trump was unpopular. And like, I don't want to go into detail. We could go down a massive rabbit hole with MAGA and make America great again. And, and all those like slogans, right? And what was behind them. So, so, but unfortunately, we have to put a bit of a pin into it as well. Like we're running a bit out of time. And I want to talk about just junior mining companies for a second. I have to say, yeah, I have to say yeah. one thing, you know, what made America great, right? It, what made America great was making stuff. You go back, you know, the robber bands in the 1800s. I mean, they, and then 19, then we started, we started making stuff, you know, Ford and, and Edison, we started making stuff. That's what made America great. So, I mean, our technology companies are fantastic. We make a lot of stuff, but it's, it, it, on a percentage basis, it's, it's not enough. Yeah, yeah, designed in California, I, I was, manufactured yeah. in China, right? So that's what it says on the Apple phone, okay. I think. So on the iPhone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, let's circle back. You brought up Fury Gold, and I just want to get your opinion real quick. How investors should position themselves more in the junior miners, because you have an opinion on on silver and export silver gold exploration okay. production companies as well. Let, let's talk about that for a couple more minutes, and then we have to wrap it up because we're already way over our twenty minute limit. So um, I really enjoy the conversation, though. That's why I just let it run, and we we're actually getting some feedback question here on YouTube as well. So I'd love to get to those as well. Right. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about gold and silver. So I think. Again, in my opinion, could be wrong, that we are heading into an epic historical event as far as, and I'm going to focus on silver here, but gold is going to go along for the right. Gold is going to do the same thing, probably not, not as significant. But the reason that I'm pointing out silver is because gold was near its all-time high. Silver needs to go up 100%. 100% to get to an all-time high. So silver, when silver gets to 27, it's probably going to run to 30. Once it gets to 30, it only has one more stop, which is 35. Once it gets over 35, and the reason why is because we've only had two basically bull markets in silver's history, 1979-80 and 2008-9, or seven, yeah, basically 2008. Um, you've had we had two and they were basically short lived. They were very short lived. You basically went from 30 to 50 back down to 30. So we've never had this the type of rally that we're going to have here. And so whenever you get into blue sky, whenever you get into a place where there's no more support, it just gets really exciting. I mean, look what happened when Bitcoin got over 20,000, right? It kept running, 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 went all the way over 40,000. That's kind of what's going to happen with silver once it gets over 27. So. The best time to get into these silver miners is $30. Once we close over 30, and I like to wait for Friday closes. So close over a Friday over $30. It's like, okay, that's green light. Let's get in. And then, you, I mean, you just have to have a, a you know, if, if you want to be conservative, you put on a stop loss at like 27, because 27, maybe 26.50. 27 should hold because that's now the, what is resistance becomes support. So 27, 27, 26 should hold. Maybe 26 is a pretty good stop loss. That should hold. And then if it holds, if, if it does go back and retest, and, and that's what it usually does, it'll go back and retest, and then it takes off. So 
when we go from 30 to 50 on silver, the silver miners are going to go nuts. That's why I say it's a totally historic thing. Now the gold miners are going to do great as well. Um, I'm just Percent, percentage just wise, I think silver has more yeah, runway. They're going to do really well. Yeah. Um, but and then once we get up to fifty dollars silver, I don't think that's going to be the end game, the end run, the end all, if you will. I don't think that's the top. So once you, it's going to keep going, in my opinion. So I really think that uh, we're going to see um, 75, 100, 150 silver, uh, you know, one of those three markers. Um, And I'll be surprised if we don't hit the upper marker. And then we got a question here on YouTube. That's why I just quickly want to throw that in, because Money Talk is asking, what conditions do we need to get even to $27 silver? Uh, The fear trade coming back. We talked about it. So, yeah. So. It's all about the risk on coming back. It's all about people starting to get nervous about everything that I was explaining. Uh, and this this was a really good interview because I talked a lot about the fundamental underlying issues around gold and silver. And so, yeah, it's all about getting, it's all about a shift. Um, and until we get that shift, um, you know, I wasn't surprised that gold got beat up down to 800. We're still in this this euphoric phase around MMT. Everybody's still euphoric. And until, until that's off, I mean, if you look at the, the people that are bullish on the stock market right now, it's like 90% plus. So until that comes off a little bit, you're going to get the beatdowns. Like we've had three beatdowns in three weeks. Yeah, I'll probably get a couple more beatdowns. Um, and that's why you get these beatdowns in these euphoric phases. That's It's, it's hard to do beatdowns when you're trending. And that's the reason why you get these... Um, you know, these these breakouts, because once you break out, it's the beatdowns don't work. The best time to do the beatdowns is Sunday nights when you, you have a lot of euphoria. Yeah, and before a holiday <laughs> as well. So, right. Yeah. Um, two, two last questions. Do you hedge? Um, I have in the past, um, but I I like to hedge with options of leveraged. Um, it's like FAS is a, a 2x um financial bear. So I like to, if you if you take a, a leveraged ETF and then you do an option on it, you get unbelievable leverage. So I, in the past, I have bought FAS options, you know, out of the money options in case of a crash. Um, I have done that in the past, but I only tend to do that um, when I'm afraid, when I'm nervous. But right now I'm not nervous because I don't feel I feel that we're heading into um, a bull, a, a bull market in gold and silver. We're not heading into a bear market, so I don't want to. I don't want to hedge, you know, going into a bull market. So I have you know, no hedges at the yeah, moment. Perfect. And the last question is from Alex here, actually. And in Don's opinion, why are safer and you used uh, air brackets here proven gold explorers like Osino Resources and Cartier Resources falling as much, if not more, than other more riskier junior explorers? Do you have an explanation for that? Uh, yeah, so usually uh, all the junior explorers, there's only a few of them that are basically what I would call safe. And these are these are they're not super safe because the, the, the value of your gold and silver in the ground is based on the price of gold and silver. When gold and silver goes down, they're going down. But what I mean by safe is that they're drilling a discover a known discovery that's getting bigger. If you get onto something like that, then they tend to hold. They're not going to crash. You know, they're not going to lose 50% because they're getting bigger. Um, Osino is getting bigger. Um, Roscan's getting bigger. Yeah. 
but how they're not, you know, they haven't gotten to the point yet where they're, you know, super safe yet, but they're getting there. And, and so you're, you're getting, there's still nervousness there out there. Um, uh, a lot of the safe stocks, I mean, they get, they get, um, they, they go up fairly quickly because people recognize how that they're, these are, there's a really good discoveries and they're getting bigger and bigger. Um, newfound gold is, is, is getting into that, getting, you know, starting to get a big market cap because people are really excited about it. I'm excited about newfound gold. Esky mining is starting to jump, starting to jump a few dr good drill holes. So you start to see some of these, these mines that look really good, but Anytime you're in an exploration stock, you are in a risky stock. You're going to get some volatility. You're going to get some really some significant beatdowns. That's good. that just goes with the you know with the with the you know the the territory. Well, that's what it is, right? That's territory. why. But that's why we also like it because that volatility volatility can give you 100% tomorrow, right? Yeah, people like exploration stocks because you can make 100% in one day, 100% in one week. It's exciting, you know. It's nice. You can make a 10 bagger. You know, in three, six months, those are really exciting stocks and people like to run them. But I always tell people, don't do exploration stocks first, not even second. First, get your basically your foundation and you know, read my book on how to invest in these mining stocks. Get your foundation in. Determine what that foundation is. Go to the, the exploration stocks last and then keep your cost bases down so they don't kill you. Um, you know, I only do uh, 8% exploration stocks um, right around there. I, I like to keep it low. I don't like to have, you know, a lot of exposure, but it just there's way just too much risk. All you need is one 50 bagger. That's kind of, <laughs> you know, exploration plays, in my, in my opinion, are really for fun. It's not really for investing. It's for speculating. I invest in, ca in, in basically finding cash flow stories, and then I invest on vision predicting that the price of gold and silver are going higher. So if, they, if the gold and silver goes higher and then I have the cash flow companies, then I'm going to benefit. That's investing. These, inve these drill store stories are more speculation, gambling. So you got to be Let, let, let me just, okay, I, I do have one last question based on what you just said. It's, so are you actually playing the, the, slow, the, the tighter margin producers, the companies that are producing at $1,400 gold or higher? Or uh, silver companies that are just right at that level of twenty dollars or so, the ho those high cost producers. Or do you look at uh, valuation and margin already built in? That's a good good question. So I call those optionality plays, and I, for me, the optionality play. I don't really go after the high cost producers. Those stocks really don't really get me excited, if you will. Um, Unless they have exploration potential and they have production potential, then they might get me interested. The optionality plays that I really like is that when you have gold in the ground, these don't necessarily have to be producers. They can be developers and exploration plays. In fact, the developers and exploration plays are usually the better optionality plays because they're just super cheap. They're not producing. Producers usually aren't you know, super, super cheap. So the best optionality plays is that when you can find Gold and silver in the ground for pennies on the dollar. For instance, before this thing started back in March, there were several exploration options, but it was just so glaringly obvious. And those stocks have really taken off. I mean, Discovery Metals is a perfect example. It's one of my favorite optionality plays. I mean, they, nobody wanted to touch it. it, it the, they had you know 300 million plus ounces of silver, some say a billion, and it was trading like 10, 
million dollars. I mean, it's just a joke. I mean, if silver goes up, it's going up, you know, right? So those are the ones that I really enjoy is, is the gold and silver in the ground that's just really, really cheap. And it has to be a fairly large uh, deposit. I mean, 10 million ounce silver and it's only valued at 5 million, I'm, that's not going to get me excited. It's got to be, you know, at least 30 million ounces or more to be an optionality gotcha. play. Don, we got to end it here. It's, it's been a fantastic conversation. We're like 20 minutes over our allotted time. So, um, but I love our conversation. That's why you're on for the third time already. Cause I'm really, really appreciate it. Like it, it's a fresh. Oh, I got to say something here at the end. So, Hey, if anybody wants a, a free trial to my website, just go to goldstockdata.com and click on contact us and send me an email and I'll set you up with a free trial. Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, and also follow Don on, on Twitter. Uh, he's a great follow of mine, like at Don Durrett. A lot of great insights. You yeah. always post a Friday weekly wrap sort of to give an idea of where the market stands, gold, silver price-wise. So, one, one final thing. My book, I, I update it every two years. So the, the next edition, which is going to be the eighth edition, is going to be out in about a month. We'll get you back so, on for that. We'll um, do a virtual book tour with you. Yeah, I just pay attention. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how I can release. I'll, I'll release it on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter or if, you, if you're a member of GSD, I'll, I'm going to put it in the forum. But I'll let you know when the, when the, the next release is going to be Fantastic. out. Yeah. It's going to be a really, a really good book, by the way. Well, it's probably like the must-read education because gold bull market, gold yeah. silver market is just around the corner. So. Learn now, position now. So that's my opinion on that. It's going to be the Bible for investing in mining stocks after this yeah, edition. Fantastic. Don, really, really appreciate you joining us again. Third time this time. So really appreciate that. Thanks for coming on. And uh, everybody else, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for following us here on YouTube and uh, or, or on Twitter. So we're going to go bilateral here with uh, both formats at the same time. Really appreciate that. Follow us, subscribe to the channel, leave us a like, leave a comment, and uh, stay tuned for more interviews. We have a really busy week for everybody planned. So stay tuned.